Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Thanks for checking out the Pint Glass Football Podcast, where we like to drink beer and talk football. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at PGF Podcast. Pintglassfootball.com is our website. Email pgfpodcast at gmail.com. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and on today's episode, we're going to discuss LSU getting upset by Mississippi State, some of the big games from the NFL in Week 3, preview the first top 10 matchup in college football, update our PGF power rankings, and much more. And joining me as always, my co-host, Chad Smith. What is up, Chad? Hey, Brad. Another week of football in the books. Uh, Had a little bit of a wrinkle this weekend with the COVID and the Titans and the Vikings. We're going to have to see how that shakes out this week. We were going to maybe do a preview of the two, three, and O teams, the Titans and Steelers. We're going to, we're going to shift gears and go to another game. An exciting weekend of football. College is starting to crank up. Big 10, Pac-12, they're coming back into the dance when they got shut down uh, like a guy at a bar trying to pick up a girl and realize they're going to get left out of the college football playoffs if they don't pick up. And uh, so they're coming in in October. You got six teams in the NFL that are 0-3, two of which are the Vikings and Falcons, which nobody would have predicted. Two other teams are 0-2 and a tie. We'll talk about the Falcons in a minute and their back-to-back weeks of epic 15-point collapses. But we really got to start off at the college level. And really, I mean, when you look at LSU, we talked about it in the mock draft. We talked about it and we went through everything, the number of starters that they lost. There's always that reload versus um, rebuild. And LSU is in that category of, of reload. But when you lose 19 of 22 starters, six of which went in the first round and are all playing pretty solidly right now in the NFL, it's hard to just come out of the gates. And I think the biggest thing, Brad, for me is these schools starting off with this conference-only schedule. Guess what? You've got to be ready to play. And if you're not ready to play, you can get punched in the mouth. And the defending champion LSU Tigers went down to the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Mike Leach, welcome to the SEC. What are your thoughts on that game? Yeah, this was pretty eye-opening, wasn't it, Chad? LSU, like you said, number six in the country, the returning national champions from last year. And you're right, Chad, they had a ton of turnover. There was no doubt that LSU was going to take a little bit of a step back this year. But this was an alarming finish to lose to a team like Mississippi State coming in with a brand new coach, brand new system, brand new quarterback. For them to come into that game and really take it to LSU was pretty shocking. I don't think many people saw that coming. Now, like you said, LSU had a lot of turnover. Like you said, 19 of 22 starters. That's a lot of guys to replace. But LSU is still loaded with four- and five-star recruits. This is a team that gets a lot of talent coming in every year, while Mississippi State is a team mostly built with two- and three-star guys. So this was a crazy game no matter how you slice it. And the LSU offensive line was bad versus a really average defensive line from Mississippi State. The secondary was bad. Now, I know they have some guys out in that secondary, but they got carved up by this offense. Mississippi State, they had to learn an entirely new system. And I was really impressed for them coming in on a short, you know, a shortened offseason. Like you said, no non-conference games, no 
cupcakes to get warmed up against to jump right into SEC play with KJ Costello, the quarterback transfer for Stanford. He was good, but he was not a great quarterback in the Pac-12, kind of an afterthought in that conference. And he just came in, Chad, and shattered the SEC single game passing yards mark with 623 yards and five touchdowns, a guy who never even broke 400 yards in a Pac-12 game. Now, granted, at Stanford, he ran a pro-style offense. The air raid attack that Mike Leach runs is much, much more quarterback friendly. I will definitely grant you that. But what he did was impressive. Now, he did have two interceptions and two fumbles in this game. If they take care of the ball, they could have easily won this game by much, much more Leach is a guy who's always been able to do more with less, whether it was at Texas Tech or at Washington State. Off to a great start here at Mississippi State, and he's got the SEC on notice. He does, Brad. And Zach Barnett was on earlier this year when we had our guest in the summer, and he spoke about that. He he specifically touched on LSU and said, guys, they lost a lot of starters. And you're right. They have a lot of four- and five-star kids that came back, but are they developed and are they ready? This showed that they weren't. I think two other things were in play here. One, I don't think LSU was prepared defensively to handle just an all-out air raid attack that Mike Leach brought on them, even with Mike Leach's history of wanting to do that. And you spoke about Dylan Moses last year being the difference maker when we had Roger Hoover on and how one player can, can really impact a defense. Maybe it's a game early in the season. Maybe it's a game in the late. But the... Tigers missing Singletary, it showed in this game. And LSU's got a lot that they have to look into the mirror and figure out who they are, what the identity is. Ed Orgeron was quoted specifically saying, it's my job to fix it. And he's got a very short window to do that because guess what? In an SEC-only conference schedule in this COVID year, you don't have a lot of time to play the Citadel and marry Sisterhood of the Saints and win 78 to nothing and then play a a tough opponent. So LSU's going to have to figure it out real quick. Yeah, you're definitely right, Chad. And it appears that this incredibly deep conference just got deeper with Leach entering at Mississippi State. It'll be fascinating to see what happens the rest of the year. But I want to shift gears, Chad, to one of the biggest NFL games that we saw over the weekend. I'm sure most of you guys were watching this one, the Sunday night game, Green Bay versus the Saints. This turned out to be a pretty good ball game, but Green Bay pulled away. I've really been impressed, Chad, with what I've seen from Green Bay so far. They've exceeded expectations, even for a team coming off a 13-3 record, to come in and beat the Saints the way they did. A lot of explosive plays, a lot of big plays, the defense made plays. What were your thoughts on this one, Chad? A couple things stood out, Brad. You took the Packers in the points in that game. I laid the points with the Saints thinking that they were going to go back at home and right the ship. Michael Thomas might slide back in. He missed this game. It's clear that that offense is just not the same. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders had a touchdown, and he's starting to get a little bit of chemistry with Drew Brees, and I like that. Alvin Kamara is a freak. I just don't understand why the Packers kept letting him get those dink and dunks. I mean, take him out of the equation – Make the other people beat you. Again, though, I do believe we're going to triple down on our belief and feeling of just what passes the eye test. And Drew Brees' arm strength is just not there. And I think teams are going to continue to figure out how to shorten the field and make everything 
be in front of them. The play with Taysom Hill was really confusing to me. I know they want to incorporate him. I know he's a great athlete. I know he's got a tremendous amount of potential. They set him out wide sometimes. They do a lot of different things. But in a 27-27 to ball game, when you turn the Packers over on downs and you've got the ball in the middle of the field with a great kicker in Will Lutz, I just didn't understand the play call with Will Lutz, with, with Taysom Hill right there. That's a Drew Brees drive that they need to punch the ball into the end zone. So I was really, really surprised at that play. But then on the flip side of that, two years ago, you heard Matthew Berry and all these people saying, it's time to let Aaron Jones be the workhorse for the Green Bay Packers. Be the workhorse. Be the He's got to get the carries. Well, guess what? They heard it last year, and they're certainly doing it again this year. A lot of people were taking Jamal Williams, A.J. Dillon, thinking he's going to get goal line work and all this. Guess what? Aaron Jones is the man. And if you were to redraft right now, he would be going in the first round. He was going sometimes late, second, early, third. Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. And the scary thing about the Packers is they did that without Devontae Adams. Alan Lazard, who I will touch on as far as like a fantasy guy, he is clearly now the wide receiver two in that offense. He emerged, I mean, last week, but really emerged this week. And the Packers are a legit threat in the NFC and everybody better take notice. I don't care fans, no fans. If you can go into New Orleans and beat the Saints, you've got a solid football team. Yeah, no doubt about it, Chad. The Packers averaging 41 points per game. Now, I do question if they can stop the run versus teams that can control the clock on them and limit their opportunities. I think that's still yet to be seen. Sean Payton in this game, really not happy with the turnovers, and they were costly in this game. The one you spoke about with Taysom Hill was huge. It was a game changer. But I loved how Green Bay moved to the pocket, lots of play action, lots of bootlegs, and lots of misdirection plays. I just think it's a brilliant game plan. I really have loved what I've seen from this Matt LaFour offense in Season 2. The Saints on the other side, it just felt like they had to fight for every yard. No explosive plays, not getting the ball down the field. And Michael Thomas has been a huge loss for them, certainly. And I think they could show improvement when he comes back. But what I really love from Green Bay is the play-action pass that I spoke about. 52% of the time on play-action pass is why Green Bay is not dependent on Devontae Adams, but the Saints are dependent on Michael Thomas. I think it plays a huge difference in the two offenses. But the Saints' defense, they've been disappointing, Chad, allowing 31.3 points per game, which is 27th in the NFL. Tampa Bay is already the class of this division. They they are, and I'm with you on the Saints. Saints was clearly a consensus top 10 fantasy pick this year. Everybody thought with Lattimore, Cam Jordan, the players they had on defense, who was coming back, the continuity, that the Saints were going to get it done. And one of the things that was so telling that night watching that game was they did a split screen, and Aaron Rodgers is the best right now at this. And they did that split screen where they – I mean, Chris Collinsworth said, okay, left or right, which one of these two is a run and which one of these two is a pass? And just to see what Aaron Rodgers is able to do in that offense, yes, we slammed the living hell out of them for their draft, gave them a D-plus with – drafting the way they did. But when you watch this guy and the way he's competing this year, maybe I'm almost beginning to think that they just drafted Jordan Love to piss Aaron Rodgers off and make him the guy that he was three or four years ago. And even though he didn't have the weapons and he had some issues with 
who he could throw the football to. Golly, it is so much fun watching an Aaron Rodgers be elite like he is compared to being mediocre and being average. No doubt about that, Chad. We might have missed on that one for sure. But I want to shift to another game that was absolutely fascinating. The LA Rams taking on the Buffalo Bills. The Rams were one play away from completing a monster comeback win on Sunday. They were down 25 points at one point and a controversial pass interference call resulted in a Bills go-ahead touchdown on 4th and 8 from the Rams' 13-yard line with 25 seconds to go. Chad, this was a garbage call by the refs. Now, I hate trashing the refs because I think most of the time they get the right call, but it wasn't even a catchable ball. It definitely cost the Rams this game. Really tough loss for L.A. What did you make of this one? I, again, it goes back to what a lot of the fans, all of us who watch football and love the game, we're like, guys, just be consistent. There's not a single play this year, in, in my opinion, in watching three weeks of NFL on the offensive pass interference calls that have been called or not called, and then defensive pass interferences that have been called, the consistency is not there. And that play... I'm sorry. You go all the way back to week one with the Cincinnati Chargers game. It kind of gives you those shake-your-head moments. But this was clearly the tell of two halves. Buffalo dominated in the first half. And then guess what? The Rams said, no, no, we're here. We're going to we're gonna play football the way we are capable of. They got the offense going. Aaron Donald became absolutely unstoppable in the second half. I still say – he is the best defensive player in the NFL, bar none. You cannot block him individually. Double team, triple team, doesn't matter. He wreaked havoc in the second half. And I'm with you. The Rams were one play away from being 3-0. and I still give Buffalo a lot of credit because that next play, Josh Allen made a hell of a throw. I mean, for his fifth touchdown of the day, he's really climbing into that category of fantasy elite. For me, the tell of the tape and when the rubber meets the road is when they play the Pats both times, home and away, because that's going to determine who's the king of AFC East now. And But I still like what the Rams did on the road. I think they're a solid football team on both sides of the football. Cooper Cup is clearly emerging now. You got Robert Woods. They're figuring out the run game with Daryl Henderson. I think they get Cam Akers back along with Malcolm Brown. And Goff just does what he's capable of doing, including uh, utilizing Tyler Higby. The Rams are going to be just fine, but I, I'm with you. The play call, total bullshit, shouldn't have happened. I, I'm just, I'm one of those people I get a little salty on when plays like that and calls like that are the deciding factor in the game. I just hate it when a game ends that way because the guys gave blood, sweat, and tears to have it be taken out of their hands. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Chad, on that point for sure. And let's face it, the NFL is a game of inches. And sometimes it comes down to one game at the end of the year, whether you get into the playoffs or don't get into the playoffs, whether you win your division or not. And sometimes a play like that can really come back and haunt a team. So I'm not a fan of it, obviously, either. It sucks for the Rams. But like you said, this is a team that I'm still very impressed with. But I wanted to touch on something that you brought up there, Chad. In the first half, the Bills' defense was putting all kinds of pressure on Goff. They were getting in his face. They were really making him uncomfortable. He had no time to throw the ball. And McVay made those adjustments at halftime. He is one of the best uh, at that in the entire NFL, one of the best coaches in the NFL. And like you said, I think the Rams are going to be just fine. 
But I wanted to switch to the Monday night football game, Kansas City and Baltimore. This was a huge matchup, one that we had all been waiting for. Two of the best teams in the league, two of the best teams in the AFC, two of the youngest MVPs ever to play in the NFL, going head-to-head. Didn't quite live up to the hype. What did you make of this game, Chad? Uh, on a scale of one to five on get your popcorn ready, Brad, that I'm kind of trying to brand here with PGF, I'm going to only give it a three. I really thought Baltimore came out flat. They came out, tough word to use here, but I'm going to say intimidated a little bit. I really think that they tried too hard at the start to make too many things happen instead of just playing smash mouth football like the Ravens do, which is run the football first set up the run pass option, set up the play action pass, rolling Jackson out. I think Mahomes came out and said, hey, I'm establishing myself early here. I got a half a billion dollars, and here's the reason why. I do think, though, that the rookie draft class really showed in this game, even though the Ravens lost. I think Dobbins still has to get more involved. The punt return from DuVernay or the kickoff return from DuVernay was amazing. Patrick Queen got exposed a couple times with some speed, but there were some other times where he made some great plays. But really, the Chiefs with those weapons, when you've got a healthy Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the backfield with even running back depth to give him a breather, with a healthy Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, Miko Hardman, and a Pat Mahomes that can utilize his feet the way that he does and scramble, God, it's just it's impossible. And I was watching on Instagram – there was a guy that put a $1,000 bet down on 3,000 to 1 that Patrick Mahomes scores the first TD. And when he rolled out, I think they were going to throw the football to Hilaire there. He was covered. Patrick Mahomes scoots into the corner of the end zone there for that first touchdown. That better got back $36,000 on that ticket. That's pretty freaking awesome in the betting world. But I would question why you would put 1000 bucks down for Mahomes to score first. But it was... 3,000 to 1, so why not? But I think all in all, when you look at the Chiefs, they showed that they are a complete football team. They showed on both sides of the football that they can make the plays when they need to, and that includes even Chris Jones getting pressure on the quarterback and getting to Lamar Jackson and disrupting him. And you kind of saw shades of the Tennessee Titans game. When you ruffle Lamar Jackson's feathers a little bit, He's just not the same football player. He's not the same quarterback, that elite. This guy was going again into the first round, very beginning of the second round. That's what we were talking about when we were saying fantasy-wise. When you take a guy that high, that's a guy that has to produce consistently. And last night, I don't think he put up more than like 15 fantasy points. So I think it's one of those deals where the Ravens are going to have to come back and and kind of reset things and say, we're going to run the football first and go from there. But I think the Chiefs are the most complete team of football right now. And until somebody knocks them off their perch, uh, you got you got to give it to Andy Reid and that and that Chiefs team. Yeah, the champs certainly flexed to their muscles last night. But I want to start with the Ravens here. The Ravens had a special teams touchdown. They forced a turnover, but they it still wasn't enough to keep pace with this Kansas City Chiefs team. Lamar Jackson to me is what I've known all along. He can't win with his arm when the running game isn't there. 2 for 32 on throws of 10-plus yards. He went 15 for 28 for only 97 yards. That wouldn't get it done versus the Jets, let alone the champs. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens are now 0-5 when they trail by 10 points or more. This is not a team that is built 
to play in a shootout. And that's exactly what the Chiefs did in this one. The Kansas City Chiefs combination of scheme, their speed, and playmakers on the outside, it's unprecedented. Mahomes is unreal. Underhand to a fullback, a touchdown pass to an offensive tackle. It felt like Kansas City showed up to the quiz with all the answers in their pocket. Mahomes was dead to rights multiple times in that game, Chad, but he finds a way to escape and make plays. Kansas City's defense, I'm starting to think, is really underrated. They made Lamar Jackson uncomfortable. You spoke about that. They slowed the run game down. They pressured and bullied his wide receivers. They took away tight end Mark Andrews. Steve Spagnuolo might be the most underrated defensive coordinator in the NFL, and the champs are still the champs. And the one thing I want to touch on with Mahomes before we move on to everything else, Brad, is you just see that rarefied type quarterback, and it's we, we've seen it over the years. Montana, even Manning with some of the stuff he does, Brady stepping up into the pocket. You see those other guys that get happy feet, where they just get a little antsy, where they hear something. There were two or three plays specifically where Mahomes literally just made like one step up into the pocket, one step to the right or left in the pocket to give himself that extra one or two seconds to find the open receiver. And it was Watkins. It was Hill. It was Kelsey. But I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. In the world of sports, coming from my background, you cannot teach that kind of shit. You either have it, you got that moxie, you got that deal where, I mean, you enter the room before you enter the room, or you don't, and Mahomes has it. And that was one of the things that was the most impressive to me because Baltimore was bringing the pressure, but he never rattled, not even one play. Yeah, he got sacked two or three times. That's going to happen in an NFL game. But he never took the foot off the gas pedal of saying, no, I'm going to get the football to my playmakers. And that's why I think Kansas City, after this game against the Ravens on the road in Baltimore, they have clearly separated themselves from everybody else. Yeah, you're definitely right, Chad. Mahomes has that it factor. The guy just oozes with confidence, like you said. Put that together with an incredible athletic ability and incredible coaching, and you've got something special in Kansas City. But it's time to preview some of the big games coming up this weekend. Like Chad said, college football started off a little slow. The big boys in the SEC are playing now. Like Chad said, Pac-12 and Big Ten are coming finally. We're starting to see some better matchups, and there's a big top 10 matchup in the SEC this week. First one of the year, Georgia Bulldogs, Auburn Tigers. This should be a great game, Chad. What's your first thoughts on this one? I think we're getting into the schedule now where you're going to see some good football games. You're going to see some matchup. This is the first top 10 matchup of the year. It is SEC football. It is Georgia-Auburn. Auburn's got a chance to win this game and then literally win the next three games before they get into the meat of their schedule when they play LSU at Auburn. Might not be the same LSU team as last year, obviously. And then they got A&M and Iron Bowl with Alabama to end the year. But I think they've got a chance with Bo Nix to come in. He needs a big game. He needs to step up. I think Gus Malzahn is going to have some tricks up his sleeve. But really, for me, Georgia, they've got to figure out what the hell they're doing at quarterback. Whether it's Bennett, whether now that JT Daniels is eligible, they bring him in. Whether it's Mathis, they were all over the board. And I know they had the kid that transferred out two weeks before the season started. 
and they were setting up the offense to work around that, that can clearly make an impact. But guess what? In this COVID world, again, that we just mentioned, when it's starting off with an SEC schedule, even if it's in Arkansas, you can get punched in the mouth just like LSU did. Georgia and their athletes obviously showed up in the second half and made that game a boring game. They almost covered, even though they were given Arkansas 25 and a half points, I think. But I think this is going to be a game where Georgia's going to have to clearly figure out who they want at quarterback and why. And then they're going to have to continue to run the football the way they've done in the past. And that defense has got to step up. Now, if that defense doesn't step up, I think Bo Nix has the potential to have a big game. Georgia's, even though it's at Georgia and it's in between the hedges, Georgia is favored by six and a half. I'm going to fade Georgia and I'm going to take the points with Auburn because I think Gus Miles on. This is a statement game for him. He wants to come in and establish himself, especially with Alabama looking okay against Missouri and AM looking okay as well and LSU getting beat. I think he's like, hey, we got a chance to come in, clearly say we're a top 10 football team moving forward and maybe run the schedule all the way down to this LSU game and and, and look at saying, hey, we're going to contend for the national title, the SEC title and everything in between. So that's my take on the game, Brad. I think it's going to be an exciting football game. I'm sure CBS is probably going to have it slotted for their 330 SEC time slot like usual. And there's probably going to be a lot of hell of a lot of people watching this football game. Yeah, certainly, Chad. I think it's going to be a great a great game between these two teams. Georgia did not look like a top 10 team last week. You spoke about that. And like you said, the good news for them is JT Daniels, the USC quarterback transfer, is cleared to play. I just think they have zero trust in the rest of their quarterbacks. They need help under center, like you spoke about. It's been a mess so far early in the year. I think JT Daniels, he came in as a big-time recruit to USC out of high school. So this is a guy who has a ton of talent. I think he could solidify that quarterback position for them. But it might take him a few games to do it. And with no non-conference, jumping right into big-time SEC football, it's going to be difficult for Georgia to navigate these waters. They had three interceptions and a safety that really bailed the Bulldogs out on offense last week. The play calling was suspect. Didn't really like what I saw from Georgia in that regard. I'll be curious to see how that changes moving forward because the offense was really vanilla, Chad. Kirby Smart wants to rely on the defense in the run game. He comes from that Nick Saban coaching tree, but they need to be more dynamic offensively. And I think a guy like JT Daniels could certainly add that element to this offense. As far as Auburn, this is a big early season test going up against Georgia. Bo Nix, the Auburn quarterback, he really looks like he's developing into a solid quarterback in year two who can make the big throws. He's a confident kid. He brings a lot of swagger to the Tigers offense. And Auburn had some question marks at the wide receiver position coming into the year, but they looked pretty good last week. I like what I've seen from them so far. The matchup to watch for me is can the Auburn offensive line hold up versus this Georgia defense? And this is a big game for Kirby. This is at uh, Georgia against Auburn. They've still got to run the gauntlet this year with Florida, Tennessee, South Carolina. So, it, it's not like you can take the foot off the gas pedal, even if you do get by an Auburn. The SEC-only schedule, that's as brutal as it can get in college football. I think you could clearly see these teams knock each other out and keep somebody from even with two losses getting into the college football playoffs. I mean, because 
I just don't know if you're going to see a team emerge out of the SEC this year with that unblemished record or maybe even one loss. It could be that competitive this year, and LSU's already been knocked out. I mean, with their one loss, not knocked out, but they've got a long road against them. So it's going to be interesting to see, but this is going to be the biggest game of the year so far until we get into the Oklahoma, Texas, and some of the other stuff. Yeah, no doubt about that, Chad. It'll be a fun one to watch on Saturday. And like Chad talked about earlier, we were originally going to preview the Titans and Steelers matchup, two 3-0 teams going at it. But with the COVID situation that just broke recently with the Titans, there's a good chance that this game is going to get postponed or moved to a later date. So we're going to shift gears and talk about Chiefs, Patriots, Chiefs coming off that huge win that we just spoke about against the Ravens, looking every bit like the champs. But the Patriots, new quarterback, new system, a lot of veteran guys aren't there, a lot of new faces, but they're still winning at a high level. They're still New England. They still have Bill Belichick, and Cam Newton looks like a dark horse MVP. What do you make of this matchup, Chad? I think it's going to be must-watch football. I mean, when you look at the Patriots walking into Seattle, and we're clearly one yard, one and a half yards away, bonehead play call by Josh McDaniels. But, I mean, the Patriots looked good. Yeah, they got the Raiders on a short week coming off a Monday night football high of beating the Saints, traveling again to the East Coast for the second time this year. But they still look dominant. And they're doing it without James White, who is dealing with the tragedy with his father and his mother. But they are a complete football team. And if I'm Bill Belichick with him, not necessarily calling it pride, ego, or anything there above, this is, especially with what the Chiefs just did to the Ravens in Baltimore, this is going to be an opportunity for Bill Belichick to walk into this game and say, we're going to shut you guys down. We're also going to find ways to control the clock and move the chains. I think you're going to see the Patriots run the football a lot, try to keep Patrick McCombs and that offense off the field and wear that Kansas City Chiefs defense down. I think you're going to see Cam utilized a lot. Now, the Chiefs defense is solid. Don't get me wrong. They are legit, and they looked really, really good against Baltimore. You mentioned Steve Spagnola earlier. I think he's going to try to come up with a game plan to shut the rundown. So this is going to be a chess match of chess match with Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, week four. Patriots, they're basically one and a half yards away from being 3-0 and themselves. But this is really about, besides the Ravens, who is going to be the team in the AFC that can get it done. And for me, I'm going to take the points, Brad, with the Patriots. I think they're going to find a way to keep this game close. I think it's going to be an exciting football game, and I'm not going to miss it. Yeah, this is definitely going to be a chess match, Chad, like you talked about. Two of the best coaches in NFL history going at it. And if you look historically, Andy Reid is one of the very few coaches who's given Bill Belichick some problems. So this is going to be really interesting. He's such an offensive genius. He always has some wrinkles. He's always got four or five plays each game that you've never seen before. And with all these playmakers, it's going to be really interesting to see how Bill Belichick decides to craft a game plan to slow these guys down. Now, traditionally, Bill Belichick is a guy who tries to take away your best weapon. 
So last week against the Raiders, he just took Darren Waller away and forced the Raiders to try to beat them with their other players. He's been known to do that. He'll go against whatever your best player is and just take one hand and tie it behind your back and say, beat us with someone else. This Chiefs team is a different animal, though. There is so many weapons. I really don't know if Belichick can really hone in on one guy. And if he does, I'll be really curious to see who that one guy is. Is he going to try to take away the home run threat of Tyreek Hill? Or is he going to try to take away the middle of the field with Travis Kelsey? It's going to be fascinating to watch. I think the schemes on both sides of the ball are going to be fascinating. But I think you hit on it perfectly, Chad. I think New England, their best chance to win is going to be pounding the football, eating up the clock, shortening the game, limiting the possessions by the Chiefs. And I think they've got the personnel to do it. So I'm with you. I'm going to take the Patriots plus the points as well. I think at the very least, they can keep this game close. But it should be a heck of a ball game and one that I'm certainly excited for. All right, but that's going to move us into this week's edition of PGF Power Rankings. Chad, why don't you kick it off for us? Okay, when we did our power rankings last week, as we told you, PGF Nation, uh, we did this prior to the Monday Night Football game. So guess what? There's been even quite a bit more shakeup since then. So my top 10 is now reflective of three full weeks of NFL football. I'm starting off with the Rams, Brad, at 10. I think they were one play away from being 3-0. and Play, the pass interference was called. The play happened. Josh Allen made a great throw. I still think they are a solid and complete football team. I've now got the Bears at nine for two reasons. One, they're 3-0. and Yes, they should have never won that game against the Falcons. The Falcons should have controlled the clock better, but they still found a way to win. They replaced Mitch Trubisky with Nick Foles. We knew that was going to happen. We were seeing week four, week five, week six. It happened at in halftime, essentially, third quarter in this Falcons game. They are a completely different football team with Nick Foles I've got the Titans now at eight. They're 3-0. and They went to Minnesota. Minnesota team that probably shouldn't be 2-0, and but they looked really ugly in those two losses. They still played Minnesota really tough. The Titans have a weapon in Steven Goskowski. The dude banged out multiple 50-yard field goals with six for six. He is clearly going to be a difference maker in a horseshit kicking game that the Titans have had for the last two or three years. Ron Tannehill is doing just enough. They're starting to use Derrick Henry more. A.J. Brown's healthy. They're going to be a good football team. I'm still with the Pats at 2-1, and one, having them at 7, because I clearly think they are that good of a football team. They've got a big test this week against Kansas City. But I've got the Pats at 7, ahead of teams that are undefeated, because I just think they're that good. I've got the Steelers at 6, at 3-0. and oh. Solid football team, three great wins. But who have they really beaten? You're talking Broncos. You're talking Texans. I mean, yes, they played solid football on both sides. Big Ben looks healthy. He's utilizing the weapons. That defense is stout. But I can't move them up any higher until I see them have a really good win against a really good football team. I've got the Ravens at five. This was a great football game Monday night against Kansas City, but they were clearly outplayed. And so I'm still, I still think they're a top five, top ten football team, Brad. I've got them at five at two and one. I think they rebound this week in a heavy way. News to come on that with the pick six. And I've got them at five. I've got the Bills at four. 
Yes, they won their 3-0. I think they're a great football team. It was the tale of two halves. Passing the French probably shouldn't have happened, but it did. But they're still a really, really good football team with a lot of weapons. I think Diggs is making a difference in that offense. Josh Allen is borderline becoming elite. I've got them at four. Green Bay at three. This was a really tough toss-up for me, putting Green Bay at two versus Seattle. But Green Bay played so well the last two weeks, even without Devontae Adams. I just I, I just wonder what the Saints really are as a football team right now because they lost to the Raiders. Now they've lost at home to Green Bay. I mean, I don't know. Are the Saints even that good right now? I mean, they've clearly been exposed without Michael Thomas. But I think the Packers are legit football team. I'm a little bit worried about their offense. I mean, their defense and whether they have the ability to really stop somebody day in and day out. So I like them. And the same can be said for Seattle at two. That defense, yeah. Dak Prescott threw for over 450 yards. Probably should have won that ball game. They were down 38, uh, 30 to 28 and were driving. With Jamal Adams off the field, Dallas has to score there and then find a way to stop Seattle, but they didn't. Seahawks win at home against a probably a mediocre to good Dallas football team. But I've got Seattle at two. Simply because it's Russell Wilson. You've got Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes now, clearly a cut above everybody else in the quarterback rankings, but also in the MVP rankings. And with those weapons, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, that's going to be a hard team to stop. But they've got a lot to prove in these next couple of weeks with Chris Carson out with this knee sprain. Can Carlos Hyde get the job done? Because there's no Rashad Penny till week eight. Waiver wire, think about that for later. But I like Seattle a lot. I think they're still a great football team at two. And then clearly Kansas City is at one. I bumped them to two last week because I thought even though it was a division game against the Chargers and it was a rough, rough game to win on the road, they still found a way to do that. They are a solid and complete football team. And for them to go on the road to to Baltimore and win that game the way that they did in convincing fashion – they are clearly the team to be, and they will stay number one in my rankings until someone knocks them off. But that is a complete football team on both sides of the football, Brad, with the weapons they've got on offense and that defense with Matthew, with Chris Jones. They can do enough on defense to stop people. I just don't know if any defense, specifically in the AFC, has enough to stop that offense if all those weapons stay healthy. And you've got a healthy Mahomes mobilizing and utilizing his feet in that backfield and scrambling in the pocket. I just don't know if anybody's got anything for Kansas City right now. So I've got the Chiefs number one. Yeah, Chad, I really like your power rankings there. Mine, I shook it up pretty big this week. I feel like I've seen enough football at this point where I'm starting to get a better feel for these teams. But this is a week-to-week ranking, so they're going to change as we go. But at number 10, I've got the Titans. First time cracking my top 10. The defense is really iffy, especially versus the run. They've had three close wins versus bad teams, but 3-0 and is 3-0. and And I think we'll know a lot more about this team after week four versus Pittsburgh, as long as that game's not postponed, of course. At number nine, I've got the Buccaneers. This is a team that's really starting to hit its groove. Ten touchdowns through three games. And the defense is great. Yes, great. One of the best in the NFL. Six sacks and two turnovers last week. They can really get after it. I've been beating that drum all offseason, and they are showing me that I'm right so far. At number eight, I've got the Rams. The run game is second in total rush yards. 
This is a team that looks like the Rams team we saw in the Super Bowl just a couple years ago. They look like a complete football team. I like the additions they've made in the offseason. I love the play calling. I love what McVay is doing, controlling the game with a heavier dose of the run than we've seen from the Rams since he's been there. At number seven, I've got the Buffalo Bills. Probably should have lost to the Rams, but they're fourth in the NFL on offense, which is which is absolutely shocking. And the defense is just average, which is almost the polar opposite of what this team was last year. It's kind of crazy, but I like what I've seen from Josh Allen. He's taken big steps forward and is starting to really become a franchise quarterback for this team. So Bills at seven. At number six, Bills fans aren't going to like it, but I've still got New England ahead of them at number six. They're one goal line play away from being 3-0, and and it was against a very good Seattle team. I still think this is a team that is a force to be reckoned with. They're a complete football team, the best coach in the league, well, quite frankly, of all time. Cam Newton has been a dark horse MVP type of candidate, and I really like what I've seen from New England. At number five, the Seattle Seahawks. Now, this a lot of people might think this is low. Russell Wilson has been the MVP of the league so far, and this offense is elite for sure. But after this many games, I've realized that this defense is garbage. It's not bad. It's terrible. Like maybe one of the worst in the entire league. And I just can't put a team that only plays on one side of the ball in my top two or three anymore. It's just obvious at this point, they are going to be in shootouts every single week. And Russell Wilson is going to have to be perfect in almost every game for them to win. I think at some point it catches up to them. Still a very good football team, but I've slid them down to five. At number four, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, Chad hit on it. They haven't beaten any great teams yet, but they just keep taking care of business. And unlike the Seahawks, this is a defense that is elite. Maybe the best in the entire NFL. They've only allowed... 17 points per game, excuse me, 19 points per game, one of the best in the NFL, plus their offense is deep at running back, at wide receiver, at tight end. Ebron came on last year or came on last week. They've got playmakers all over the field. This offensive line is still one of the best in the NFL. The defensive line is arguably the best in the NFL. Steelers at four. At number three, the Green Bay Packers. Rodgers was lights out against the Saints. This guy looks like the player we saw three or four years ago when he was an MVP-level player. He is just shredding defenses. He's got so much zip on the ball. He's been so accurate, and I love how they've incorporated the running game. It's definitely one of the most balanced offenses in the league. I've talked about it, and the wide receivers are stepping up. Like Chad has pointed out, we really banged on them for not going after a playmaker in the draft, not drafting a wide receiver, but they are showing that they certainly did not need to because these guys are stepping up and making big plays, even with Adams out last week. I've been really impressed with Green Bay. At number two, I'm sticking with the Ravens at number two. I'm not going to overreact to one loss. It was against the champs. The spotlight might have been a little bright for them in that game, They came in, they were a little shaky, they had a lot of drops, just not a great game for them in general. I think they got outcoached in this game schematically. 
But this is a team that could I could easily see rattling off six, seven, eight wins after this. They got beat by the Browns early last season, and they didn't lose a game after that until the playoffs. So I think this is a game that maybe they they get a they bounce back from this game. I'm expecting them to get refocused, get back to their identity. And it really just shows that my number one team, obviously the Chiefs, the gap between one and two just got really wide. Going into this game, I thought these two teams were closer than they are. But right now, Kansas City just reminded everyone that they are still the champs. And it is a big gap between one and two at this point. Going into Monday Night Football, the Chiefs are sixth in scoring defense. I can't put enough words onto how great this defense has been. They're just not getting enough credit. Everyone's in love with all the fantasy numbers that this team puts up and all the playmakers on the outside. And they're great. Don't get me wrong. But this defense has quietly become one of the better units in football, a very complete football team, like you said, Chad. And the Chiefs are the champs for a reason, and they really showed it on Monday Night Football. So they are in the one spot. That is going to move us into this week's edition of What's on Tap with Chad Smith, brought to you by McKenzie Brewing. Find them online at McKenzieBrewing.com and Twitter and Instagram at McKenzieBrewing. Chad Smith is a fantasy football expert. He's always got great stuff for us every week. And what's on tap this week, Chad? Hey, Brad. Looking at this week, because some of us I know, including myself, I'm in the Circus Survivor Millions, looking at Survivor as a possibility. Week one, I took New England. Week two, I took Arizona. And then this past week, I took the Colts, really thinking that that was the only place the Colts could be utilized. Even when you look at having to say, okay, I'm projecting that I'm going to go out. I'm going to take my survivor picks way wide, way deep. You still have to have this mentality and mindset of, I need to win this week, but I also need to be looking ahead to the future. So in week four, I've got down four teams. I've got Tampa Bay week four against the Chargers at home. They also play the Giants week eight in New York. So I've got to decide on, do I want to use Tampa now or maybe wait and use them week eight? Assuming, again, with all this, that I keep picking winners and stay alive. Also have Green Bay this week uh, against Atlanta week four, but they also play Jacksonville week 10 and Philadelphia week 13 at home. So I'm probably going to lean toward holding on Atlanta because, I mean, uh, holding on to Green Bay because I think Atlanta, who knows. With Julio back, they may come in there and pull some kind of surprise, crazy upset. San Francisco, they play Philly week four. Then they have Miami week five and Washington week 14. Washington is clearly a weak team. I just don't know if Dwayne Haskins is going to be the guy moving forward. So I'm probably leaning toward San Francisco with Philly in week four. But I also like the Rams because they are this week's favorite. Hear more about that on pick six in just a minute. Going up against the Giants, they also have the Jets week 15. Now, when I talk about projecting out, when you look at the making it all the way out to week 15, if I were still in a position where I'd not used the Rams yet and I could use them against the Jets week 15, I'd probably be happy as hell. But there's that fine line, that balance of winning now and continuing to move ahead. But you always want to try to take teams that are at home. Now, we're also going to start incorporating some DFS. So as a part of this What's on Tap, I want to look at some opportunities with FanDuel, and with DraftKings, FanDuel has a salary of 60000 DraftKings, I call it DK, 
has a salary of 50000 So that's where some of the differences in price points will come. But I always try to look to find value in quarterbacks, spend a little bit less money on quarterbacks, even with Dak, Russell Wilson, typically Lamar, Mahomes are great. Their price is too high because you have more running backs, more wide receivers in that flex position. I like to put money there. So this week, I'm looking at Joe Burrow in FanDuel at 7,400. DraftKings, he's 6,300. Matthew Stafford, he's 7,700 in FanDuel. He's 5,900 in DraftKings. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is 7,100. He's 5,400 in DraftKings. Kamara at running back, that's where I want to go spend my money. I would rather put 8,800 at FanDuel or 8,000 with Kamara and DraftKings with the looks that he's getting now with a dink in the dunk with uh, Drew Brees. He had 13 catches, okay? That's 13 points. If he just catches the football and it's a 1.2-yard catch, that's still 2.2 on that play. You cannot underestimate the ability for that running back to catch the ball out of the backfield to a mass point. Also like James Robinson in Jacksonville, also think Carlos Hyde is going to be a nice one-week pickup. And a sexy little sleeper pick, Rex Burkhead at 5,600 in FanDuel and 4,800 in DraftKings could be another nice little one-week waiver pickup to kind of supplement that James White role because he's still out with that family tragedy. And you can even look at Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in this game. I think you're going to see him utilize more. He has been targeted more in the passing game, so he's becoming more and more involved. Wide receivers I like this week are Tyler Lockett, Cooper Cup. Also like Tyler uh, Boyd. Sometimes when you stack that wide receiver and quarterback together, that's where it's a boom or bust. You can do multiple teams and do one where you stack the QB wide receiver and then take the QB or the wide receiver and then put them with someone else. And you kind of are basically doubling down on the fact that if one has a good game, the other's going to have a good game. That means both have a great game. You get a chance to win money. Also, like Galladay potentially math pairing up with Matthew Stafford and Devontae Parker or Preston Williams pairing up with uh, Fitzpatrick. And also like Gasecki. I think he's got great value at tight end. And I also think Mark Andrews has a bounce-back game this week. Uncharacteristic of him in that Baltimore offense. He had some place where he just dropped the football. You mentioned it earlier, Brad. I think he comes back in a big way, and I think the Ravens come back in a big way against a Baltimore, I mean, against a Washington team that I'm not sure is that great. And then the final thing on what's on tap is start thinking about bye weeks. In week five, you've got Green Bay and Detroit on bye. So this is when you've got to start thinking ahead to say, okay, do I have the bench depth at wide receiver and or running back to, to solidify my game for that week against my opponent. So keep in mind that there's going to be a lot of players that are still going to be available on these waiver wires. Go get those players. Build out your depth. If you've got players that need to be dropped, drop them. Quit worrying about saying, well, God, I took him in the 10th round. If Austin Hooper's not a part of the offense with the Browns because he's not, I mean, Cleveland is running the football 60-plus percent of the time. So if you've got Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt, you're in good shape. If you've got OBJ, Jarvis Landry, or Hooper, you're in trouble. Or you've got Baker, you're in trouble because they're not throwing the football. So it's time to cut bait and move on with some of these people and just say, hey, it was a draft day mistake. I thought this person was going to produce more, but they haven't, and move on. 
So for this week, Brad, that's all for what's on tap. We're going to continue to incorporate DraftKings, FanDuel, Survivor stuff, and kind of keep tweaking this what's on tap segment. Let's keep winning in fantasy football and having a great week, okay? Yeah, Chad. And that is why he is our fantasy football expert on the show, DFS, Survivor, you name it. Chad is the man. And if you want to ask Chad any fantasy football-related questions or anything regarding any of the topics we've talked about, sit, start, waiver, you name it, you can hit Chad up directly on Twitter at ChadSmithPGF. But that's going to move us into this week's edition of Pick 6. And Chad, I've been getting beat down these last couple weeks. Still 5-4 and on the year with my Pick 6 picks. Not great, but it's I've had some bad beats. Trying to hang in there for you guys. I apologize, PGF Nation, if you made some of these plays. I'm, I'm fighting hard here to try to get back on the winning side. Chad's been a little bit hotter the last couple of weeks with some wins. But who do you got this week, Chad, for pick six? Uh, Brad, I am still salty as hell about the, I mean, horrible, lame-ass week backdoor cover that Mizzou put on Alabama that game was in hand at 35-6, to six, and then they let that running back break out on that wheel route, basically went in untouched, and then they'd already brought in Bryce Young because Mac Jones, I think, was banged up a little bit. He played like shit the last two series. I was really hoping that they would come in with some garbage touchdown and still get that cover. But that being said, covered with the Dallas-Seattle over, that was easy money. That game was covered by the start of the fourth quarter, and I told you that even though – that Tampa Bay game moved from one and a half to six, that the Bucs were the dominant team there. And they showed that they were the dominant team, easily covering them. So coming off of back-to-back two-in-one weeks, this week I have the Rams at minus 13 against the woeful New York Giants. This line opened at six. Sharp money, and I'm talking mega super sharp money, people bringing in briefcases full of cash, has moved this line all the way to 13. I don't care. I still think the Rams cover and win this game at home by two or more touchdowns. The Giants suck. They have nothing now with Saquon Barkley out, and that offense is just not in click. The defense, golly, it's a sieve right now. And with what I saw in the second half with the Rams and that ability to come back against a great Buffalo team on the road, and Aaron Donald insert himself, I think he's going to wreak havoc in this game. And I think the Rams win by two touchdowns or more easily. I also think the Ravens bounce back. They are on the road. They're 12.5-point favorites. It opened at 13.5. It's dropped to 12.5. So some people are putting money on the Washington football team. Still getting used to saying that. But they look like crap against the Cleveland Browns as well. I think the Baltimore Ravens are pissed off. They figure it out this week, even on a short week, because it's really not a road game because it's in the same area. So I think the Ravens come back with a vengeance and with purpose to win this football game, run the football, run it down Washington's throat. The Cleveland Browns just ran it down their throat. And so I think Baltimore reasserts herself defensively. I think they create havoc for Dwayne Haskins. And I think the Rams, I mean, I think the Ravens win by two touchdowns or more in this game easily. And so I'm taking the Ravens minus the points. And then my third and final pick six this week is the Kansas State-Texas Tech over. Texas Tech, Kansas State both easily, easily clip the over. The Big 12 has traditionally been 
and over. There's been a lot of overs this year in general, especially in the NFL. I think you're going to see the bookmakers in Vegas start to adjust that. You've already seen the Atlanta-Green Bay game move all the way to 58. At some point, you have to go, damn, okay, that was a high-scoring game with the I mean, Packers and the Saints, and they only put up 54. So at some point, you've got to start saying, all right, maybe I'll have to start thinking about the under. But when it comes to Big 12, no. These two teams are going to score, and they're going to continue to score. It's going to be a shootout. Nobody's going to stop each other. So the over and under in that Kansas State-Texas Tech game is 63. I'm taking the over. That's my pick six for the week, Brad. I like it. I like it, Chad, definitely. And the Big 12 is definitely a pillow fight. There's no defense there at all. Love the overpick there for sure. But for me, I'm going to take the Bears as a short home dog, plus two and a half. I've got no faith in old man Rivers. He looks like a shot fighter. The Bears have been playing really well, and I like that Foles has instantly made this team better. Getting points at home, I'm going to take the Bears. I've got the Browns plus four and a half versus the Cowboys. This has less to do with the Browns and more to do with the fact I think Dallas just isn't very good. And I think the Browns are a team that has kind of found the formula for what they do well, and that's running the football. I think they're they're a team that can really shorten this game with the running game. And I see that when this line came out, Chad, I thought this would be more of a Cowboys by three type of line. And when I saw four and a half, I just thought that was a lot of value at four and a half. So I'm taking the Browns plus the points there. And I'm going back to the well, even though they burned me last week. I'm taking the Cardinals and laying the three and a half versus the Panthers. I think the Cardinals bounce back. They played their worst game of the year last week. And they're going up against a Panthers defense that is not very good. They're a young defense. And I think they're really going to struggle to contain Kyler Murray. I wish this line was just three. The hook could get me on this one, but I've got confidence that the Cardinals are going to light it up in this game and be able to cover the three and a half. And so that is going to do it for our pick six this week. As always, each of us will have a bonus pick on pintglassfootball.com. So be sure to check it out for those bonus picks. Hopefully we can win you guys some money, but that is going to do it for today's episode. Really appreciate you guys, PGF Nation. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.